Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. And uh, are you ready for Thanksgiving? <clears throat> yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. So do you like turkey? Yes. You like turkey? Other people like turkey? Good. Good for you guys. Good for you guys. I'm not a turkey fan. Not really a turkey fan, but you know, it is a season where we wipe out the turkey population and yeah, yeah chickens are safe <laughs> this coming week. Oh, yeah, chickens are safe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're, we're getting ready for Thanksgiving. I have had to do something though that <clears throat> kind of goes against the grain because I like all the seasons to be in their spot. You know, October, I have an October playlist that I play, and I have a Thanksgiving playlist that I play in November, and then Christmas, which starts right after Thanksgiving, like on Friday, right after Thanksgiving, that's when that playlist starts. Can I have a little more light in the room so I can see? And uh, because of the way my family is currently, and they're gone, um, we have this tradition where Nicole, myself, Quinn and Aurora, we decorate the Christmas tree, you know, when they're in. Well, because she, because my daughter is only going to be in here a limited amount of time, I've already put up my Christmas tree with the lights on it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we have some claps. Yeah, I've had to do it. There's no decorations on it, just the white lights, right? Just so that on Thanksgiving, after we eat and when we come back right before they leave, um, we can hang our little Christmas ornaments. Because we have all these stories with all these ornaments that we have now. Like the kid, kids have got ornaments their entire life, you know, every year, new ornaments, and there's different um, things that we tell about. Like, for instance, Quinn has a church that when you press it, it sings Silent Night. It is the most irritating Silent Night you would ever hear anybody sing. You know, it's just grates on your nerves, but he loved that thing when he was a kid, played it over and over again. I, as probably a selfish individual, a selfish father, put that ornament up into the attic in the box with the batteries in it with the hope that the batteries would explode and take out that particular portion of the thing. But those batteries have lasted for 16 years in my attic cold, hot, all kinds of stuff. So Quinn now says that the Holy Spirit is at that church. (laughs) And Aurora will say, you only get to press the button one time or I will take you out, (laughs) is is the conversation. Every year is the same conversation. So anyway, it's that sort of thing. So my, my my Christmas tree is up and I do leave the lights on during the day. I mean, I, I do. It's with my other fall decorations, the, the lights are actually on. So, yeah, there it is. There it is. Yep. All right. So, um, I'm going to start today with, with just a couple of phrases, and I want you to complete those phrases. Okay? So, here we go. First, ask not what your country can do for you, but... Very good. Turkey in the straw... Who said that? Yeah, I didn't hear it. You, you weren't loud enough. Who else said it? Somebody over here. Turkey in the hay. Yeah, turkey in the hay. It's an it's a old, you know, 
bluegrass song, and I don't, anyway, it's an old bluegrass song, so that's, that's great. Y'all didn't know that one. Uh, Houston, we, right, um, grace and, yeah, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, yeah, uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas and, yeah, and if it weren't for bad luck, Gloom, despair, nag me, oh man. <laughs> yeah. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what? I, I hated that show. <laughs> but I loved that section of the show. It was just so funny. It was so funny. Okay. So those are, those are sayings that I can say the beginning of them and then you can repeat, right? If I was to go on a mission trip, and was to use that phrase, those phrases in India, they would look at me like, what? Because they don't have the same type of phrases, right? It doesn't have the same cultural significance. I could go somewhere in South America. I could go somewhere in Africa. Um, England, you know, in the first service, I was wondering about that. So even in England, you know, the country that we defeated a couple of years ago, um, <laughs> They don't, they don't have that as a part of, part of their thing. So it's really a cultural sort of thing. I say these words and you can repeat them back. This morning, what we're talking about in the Jewish culture, the people Jesus is talking to could repeat the phrase back to him that he, he has said in the Beatitudes. So to kind of set up what they knew and what they were thinking, we need to turn to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. Now, Psalm 37 is, is in the top five of psalms that they used in a worship setting in Jesus' day. So top five. By the way, it might be interesting to know that Psalm 23 was not in the top five. It wasn't one of the top five ones. But for us, it would be in there, right? It's somewhere in the top five, maybe even number one, because we all know that. We've repeated it. A lot of us have repeated it our whole life. <clears throat> but it, Psalm 37 is definitely in the top five of the Jewish culture in Jesus' day. And it's a Psalm of David, King David, and he wrote it at the end of his life when he's old and he's about to pass the torch on. So he writes this song, and this is what it says. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers. So it's a fretting that evildoers and wrongdoers are actually achieving their goals and gaining ground in the world. And he's telling the people in the psalm, he's saying, don't fret that. Don't fret that when the evil seems to be winning and don't fret it and don't be envious of them, like of their positions. Because... There are evil people that get positions in the world that I wish they didn't have, right? And, and you don't want them there, but somehow they got there. And for the ones that we know, some of them have done some awful things to get into that position. Come on. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle. Some of them have done some awful things, some, some things that would go against their a good character, to get into that position. They've elbowed their way in. And he says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers when they're winning. 
for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, be friend of faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness in the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, that's a reference to verse one, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Now that's a key phrase there. Wait for the Lord. Those that wait on the Lord will inherit the land. So he's saying that it seems like all the evil people are getting their piece of the pie, right? They're getting their piece of the pie. They're getting their day. They, they've got their power. They're able to do things. They are getting their piece of the pie. Don't fret about that. Just wait on the Lord because in the end, you will inherit the land. So the question that David is answering, or one of them in this psalm, is who gets the land? Who gets the land? And here is those who wait on the Lord get the land. So he continues in verse 10. <clears throat> in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. In other words, it's the pumpkin pie that you should have gotten at the beginning of the dinner, but because you waited and talked at the table, the rest of your relatives have wiped out the pumpkin pie and it's gone. This is why I recommend that you get dessert first <laughs> to beat these people. But even if you get your piece of the pie first, eventually that piece of the pie is going to be gone. My favorite pie is chocolate pie. Love chocolate pie. Well, that's second favorite. First favorite is Oreo cream pie. Oh my goodness. Oreo cream pie is absolutely amazing. Anyway, anyway great pie. But once you eat it, it is gone. What he's saying here is the evildoers that get their piece of the pie, eventually it's no longer there. It doesn't last very long. It doesn't last very long. It will be taken out. And so you wait a little while and the wicked will be no more. So verse 12, oh yeah, verse 11. Well, let me go to verse 10. Let me just, Lord, just tell me the verse I need to read. Okay. Verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. The pie will be gone. His piece of the pie will be gone. But the meek shall inherit the land. So now we have those that wait on the Lord will inherit the land. And now we have this concept of meekness. This person that's meek will inherit the land. Who gets the land? The people that wait on the Lord and the people that are meek. They get the land. And delight themselves in abundant peace. So verse 12, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth against him, or ganashes. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword uh, 
and bend their bow to bring down the poor and the needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. That's an amazing verse. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times and in the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish and the enemies of the Lord are like the glory of pastures. They they vanish like smoke they vanish away. By the way, I just have to stop there. I, I laughed at this in the first service. It, that is an, an amazingly funny verse. Um, the enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. Do you know what that's referring to? It's referring to cow patties that are lit on fire. Now with that image in your mind, I'll reread that. But the wicked will perish, the enemies of the Lord, like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. It's, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Incredible. Verse 21, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall what? Inherit the land. So now we have, we have those that wait on the Lord inherit the land. We have the meek inherit the land and those that are blessed by the Lord inherits the land. God's blessing is not based on the person's merit at all. It is just because he wanted to give the land to these people. He just wants to do that. He wants to do that for them. Verse 21, the wicked, uh, I guess I already read that, right? I just absolutely lost my place. Thank you. 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not uh, be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever uh, lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice and he will not forsake the saints. Uh, They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land. So now we have the righteous. The people that follow God will inherit the land. They put their faith in God. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. See that? Inherit the land. And you will look on when the wicked are cut off. So in David's day, they were asking the question, who gets the land? Who gets the land? I know we've won, but who, who gets the land? And David was saying that the people that wait on the Lord, that are dependent on the Lord, the people that are meek, um, the people that God chooses to bless, those are the people that get the land. It is not the biggest army wins. See, 
in our day and back in David's day, the biggest army was the one that got the land, right? Yeah. Yeah, the biggest army is the one that got the land. Um, and, and so he is saying here that just because someone fights their way to the top doesn't mean that what they have captured will be theirs forever. That's not how it works. Fast forward to today, and we've got a situation over in Israel, right? Got a situation over land. And it doesn't matter if you say it's from the land to the sea, God says that that land is the Jews' land. And one day, the whole area is going to be theirs, and everybody else is just going to be dispersed throughout the world. That is what's going to happen. So they're going to get the land because of a covenant promise. But one step beyond that is the meek also inherit the earth. The meek also get a portion of the land. So back up a little bit to 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here and he was speaking the Sermon on the Mount before a big group of people. And so turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, I want to start with verse 25. And this is what it says. And the great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, all of those areas are not just Jewish areas. They're Jews and Gentiles and they're all coming to Jesus to hear this particular message. However, I think that all those people already knew some things about the Jewish religion because it was all the way around them. So all these people are there. And in my mind, I begin to think that these people are under the suppression or authority of the Roman government. In other words, Rome has come into their area and conquered it. And then they divided the land among the people. For instance, this group over here is going to live in Decapolis, okay? And, and Hannah is going to be the ruler because she's up front and y'all are behind her, right? Because that's how rulership works, right? Not really, but you're, you're the leader now. And you're going to be another portion of the land over there. Let's just pick one. Let's just look at that. It says uh, Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea beyond the Jordan. I'm not going to let you pick, so you're going to be beyond the Jordan, okay? And and this young man right here is going to be your leader because he's in the front, okay? So we're kind of keeping it women and men kind of equal here, okay? Because we don't want letters. And I'm just kidding. Nobody would ever do that. So this group over here is actually, um, let's just say, uh, Jerusalem. You're Jerusalem. And you're young enough, so you'll be the leader over this, these people. And so the Romans came in, and they did not allow you to elect your leaders. They just appointed people that were sympathetic to their cause, not your cause, their cause. And so it, the land was divided up. Now, y'all are over Jerusalem, okay? You're over Jerusalem. And, and Katie, no, no, not you, not you, Katie. Ms. Nancy is over, no, Ms. Na no, not Ms. Nancy, um, 
Ms. Janet. Because see, what happened was Katie did something wrong and the Roman government didn't like her, so they etched her. She's already crucified. Ms. Nancy, she did something wrong. Lo and behold, she stood for something that, you know, they didn't like her, so they etched her out and they just gave it to Ms. Janet because, you know, Ms. Janet, um, they think she doesn't have opinions, but she, they don't know her yet. <laughs> she don't know her yet, but that's what they think. So they're judging from the distance and they're picking all these people to be over your land. And so the people that are listening to Jesus are like, the land has been divided up and it's not ours, it's the Roman land. And they're putting people over us, they're taxing us, they're, they're making us do particular things, they're making us follow their laws. The strongest army has won, they have the land. And so Jesus opens his sermon by saying these words. Verse three, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And here is the phrase that they already knew. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall inherit the land. They knew that phrase. They knew that phrase because of Psalm 36. Blessed are the meek. What did I say? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. They knew that phrase. And so they're like, wow, that relates back to the psalm that we sing all the time. And he's talking about the land. He's talking about who gets the land. And he's saying that the, that, that, that the meek get the land. Now, we know that this isn't this isn't a announcement that you have to be meek in order to get the land. That's not what this is. This is you think that you are losing. You think that the people that are the strongest that have elbowed their way to the front are the ones that are taken over and that they're in control and there's nothing you can do about it and they're the ones that are going to have that land for eternity. But Jesus says, no, that's not how you do it. It's the meek that will inherit the land forever. That's what he's saying. And once the meek have a hold of it, nobody's gonna take it from them. So the question is, what in the world is meek? What is meek? Because in 2023, meek sounds pretty wimpy. Doesn't it? It sounds really wimpy. Now, if I was preaching this 30 years ago, meek would not have sounded wimpy. But today it sounds wimpy. Because what has happened is something that we, none of us ever thought would happen, but, but it has happened. And, and man, I, just, just go with me on this. I've, I watch uh, YouTube videos of people being pulled over by cops. It's just very entertaining for me. I don't know why I'm drawn to that, but I really like to watch that particular thing. And maybe it's because I kind of empathize with the people some, you know, empathize with it, them. But nonetheless, I'll watch this. And so uh, recently I was watching a police officer and he pulled a young lady over and he walks up to her car and he has his flashlight and she's in the car and literally she's going, officer, I have generational um, anxiety. And so he said, well, okay, that, that's, that's okay, but you were speeding, and so I need your license and your registration. And then she said, and I have anxiety over authoritative white men. 
And he said, that may be the case, but I still need your license and registration, right? He was very kind, but there she was, generational anxiety and white authoritative men, right? The reason that we think that meek is wimpy is because we are taught to respond to people such as that and empathize with them. We are taught to when they say um, generational anxiety that somehow or another we're supposed to pour out love and affection and say, oh, well, it's okay. I understand why you were speeding. You were trying to get away from um, the generations. And somehow or another, this is supposed to be weak and caring for, for these people when they, when they have done something wrong. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that, but what I am going to say is that we think meek is wimpy because now we're starting to empathize with a lot of people that really we shouldn't be empathizing with. The police officer is that exactly right. She was actually going 95 in a 45 on the wrong side of the road. So it doesn't matter if you're generationally, if you have generational anxiety, you're about to kill somebody, right? And so, and so we think that meek is like this, this wimpy sort of thing, and that is not what it means in Scripture, and in fact, I wish I could change the words to kind of update it to today because this is, this is what he is actually saying. The people that are strong in their faith and caring will inherit the earth. The people that are strong in their faith and caring will inherit the earth. The people who know what they believe but give it to people in a loving way are the people that inherit the earth. You might not think that that is the way to go, but Jesus says that the people that are really serious about following him, that stand for truth, that love people while they're proclaiming it, it might look like you're losing because everybody else is doing everything else to get their particular piece of the pie, but you haven't lost, you've actually gained. So meekness isn't, it isn't wimpy. It is a cousin to humility. My mama would say they're kissing cousins. I've never really understood that and why she said that, but nonetheless, they're kissing cousins, but nonetheless, they are, they're, they're related to each other. But meekness is standing firm in a caring sort of way. That, that's what it is. And so I want to step outside of this announcement for a moment, and I want to talk to you about how you and I should and can live meek lives for Jesus Christ. Because meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. It really is. And so it's supposed to be something that comes out of us. So here's a couple of verses for that. James chapter 13, verse 3 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Someone that is solid and someone that is caring has a wisdom about them. They are not the loudest voice in the room, and they're not the quietest voice in the room either. 
But when they speak, there is a weight to what they say. Every believer should live their life in such a way that they're strong in their faith, they care for people, and when they say something, there's a weight that comes with it. Because what you're saying in your meekness, in your strength, that is caring, is you're saying something that the Holy Spirit has put upon your heart and you're giving it to other people from his word. Is, this, is everybody tracking? And you stand for something. Meek people are not people that are just pushed over and run over. That's not what God wants you to do. He wants you to stand for truth and do it in a loving way. That's what he wants you to do. And so there's a wisdom in what you say. That means that sometimes the first thing that comes to your mind might not should be said. Sometimes when we're emotionally charged and we've all been that way and those words we just shouldn't come out of our mouth, but we should step back a moment and think through our words because they're very powerful and create environments and use some wisdom when we speak. That's what he's saying. So a meek person, a person that stands for truth in a caring way, shows it in the meekness of his wisdom. Here's the next verse. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, uh, correcting his opponents with gentleness. That particular word gentleness is actually meekness in Greek. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So the Lord's servant must not be someone that is always looking for a fight, always looking to get their way, always looking to push forward, always wanting, I want this, I want this, I didn't get this, I wanted to know this, I wanted this, I wanted this, I wanted that, I wanted it, I wanted it, I wanted it, and they get so riled up that they become quarrelsome. They didn't give it to me. Well, maybe you shouldn't have it. right? Maybe you shouldn't have it. Of course, the way I just said that, it was not very meek, right? Loving. Maybe you shouldn't have it, but they, they're not quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. You cannot correct anyone if you're a pushover. So that must not be what it means. You correct people out of love. And when you do it, you do it in a very tight situation. Very few people, only the people that need to know, know it. You handle it within that environment because your goal is to not make it public because once something becomes public, it makes it harder for that person to repent and turn from their wicked ways. Makes it harder for them to do that. In fact, even if they did turn from their wicked ways, if the public knows it, they never live down what has been said about them. It will be years later, and people will still call that person an adulteress. And they haven't even thought about adultery. They turned from that, got forgiveness from God, but that's what they're known for. So keeping it tight is a way to do it in wisdom, is a way to correct opponents with gentleness so that they can actually do something about their sin and live a healthy life. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse, verse, uh, chapter two says this. Let me say something else about this. I know that this passage of Scripture is for pastors. I know that. I know that. But I submit to you this morning 
that the same standard that you hold for your pastor should be the same standard you live by. I'll go one step further, which I think is even a more powerful thing. You should live your life in such a way that Jesus Christ is proud of you. And if you wouldn't expect Jesus to do it, you shouldn't do it either. So when it says, Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, I submit to you this morning that everybody in this room that has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is the Lord's servant, and they should act accordingly. Amen? Next verse says this. Speak evil of no one. That's hard. It's hard. Especially when you're watching the news. Mm. To avoid quarreling. Speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling. Be to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy, that word is meekness, toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hated, hating one another. Yeah. So you speak evil of no one. A person that's meek doesn't speak evil of people. A person that's standing for truth in a caring way doesn't spread the stuff around. He, they keep it tight to avoid quarreling. We have the ability to create environments according to what we do with our words and if we display the fruit of meekness in our lives. So Titus chapter three, verses two through three. Here's the next one. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness. That's the word meekness and respect. So this has to do with standing for truth and giving people truth. There is a marked difference between winning and competitiveness and being strong and caring for people and being meek. You know how I know that? Because I'm a little bit competitive. I'm competitive in my car when I'm alone. Yesterday, I went to a funeral. It was an hour away, okay? I set my GPS because for somebody that's directionally challenged, I have to do that. On my GPS, there's this little number at the bottom that says you will arrive at 1024. That was great. Funeral started at 1030. But I look at the 1024 and say, I can beat that. I can beat that, right? So I'm competitive. So I went down, down I-40 and I went down 52. And by the time I got off on, I think it's eight to go to Denton, um, not Ohio, but Denton, North Carolina, it turned on there. I had gained two points. So now I'm at 10.22, right? And I'm like, okay, I've got a little more time here. I think I can shave off one more minute on this. So I went through, uh, went through a little town. At this point, I really don't know where I'm at. I'm just following the GPS because I'm outside of my, my arena. I'm going through this little town, passing by McDonald's and some other stores and, and moving on. And, and once I got through there, well, I gained a minute. I gained a minute. Stoplights, I mean, why in the world do we put those in places? <sighs> so, so I got outside of that little town and I started to go down the road and I gained that minute back pretty quickly. Gained it pretty quickly, so it must have been just a couple of seconds. And 
when I made my last turn to go to the church, the GPS just totally went out on me. Have you ever had that happen? Like the satellites don't know where you are, neither does the government. <laughs> and, and so I, I'm traveling. And, and when I get to the church, to my great pleasure, right, it was at um, 1019. So I had shaved off a ton of times, that time, right? But I kept yeah, so anyway, we'll, we'll leave the story there. Very competitive, very competitive. I wasn't competitive until um, I met Nicole, actually. Mm-hmm. I used to play Rook for fun before I met her. And then I went to her house and played with Janet and Ralph Lee, and it, just, it was just a different level. And so I became, became competitive after that. Of course, I blamed them for everything. But, but anyway, there's a competitive. So I know what it means to win. I know when you're going after something and you're just trying to win. And when you're trying to win, you will do anything that you can to win. You move your elbows, you step on people, you do whatever you can to win that particular game. That is what football is about, and that is what winning is about. You, you win, you do what you can. I, I play um, several games, one of them Anyway, every time I play a game, my strategy is to wipe out somebody on the board. I mean, I have a target. This is the strongest player. I'm going to wipe them out first, and maybe I'll be able to win. Sometimes that, work, sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. But I know what it means to win. Being meek is not about winning. It's about what is best for everyone involved. That's what it's about. In this particular situation that you, you might be dealing with, what is the best thing for the family? What is the best thing for your relationships with this person? What is the best thing you can do to kind of heal whatever is going on in that particular relationship? What is the best thing? What is the best thing for people? It's not about winning. It is not about you getting your way. It is about you restoring a relationship. That's what it is about. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and meekness and respect. And sometimes when you're witnessing, there are people that just want to argue with you. They just want to argue with you. Atheists are one of them. Atheists will try to prove to you over and over again that there isn't a God. And back in the day, I used to engage those people and prove that there is a God. But you know what we both left with? They still are arguing that there isn't a God, and I'm still arguing that there is a God. Didn't work. Because the goal of that interaction was winning, not reaching. There's a difference between the two. So now, when someone comes up to me and they want to argue about is there a God or is there not a God, I give them the gospel. I don't really engage in that argument. I give them the gospel because this is what I know. It took me a while to get here. In giving a case to me that there isn't a God, they're really just trying to convince themselves because deep inside they know that there's a God. They just know it. So the best thing at that moment is just to say, well, I believe in a God and he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And if you accept him as your savior, he will save you and forgive you of all the sins, 
all the wrongs that you've ever done, and that is the answer to the world's problem, the gospel. And I think sometimes we underestimate the power of the gospel. So when the person leaves, yeah, they're still atheist, right? But what they're now thinking about that they can't get away from is the gospel message of the love of a God that they know exists but want to prove that he doesn't. Is everybody tracking with me on that? That is the meek way to get the gospel out. We are not here to win arguments. We're here to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and see him change people. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do you know why I believe in Jesus? It's because he's changed my life. He's changed my life. And I know it's not me. I know it's not me. There are things I say that I know come from him because Philip's stupid. Philip ain't that wise. But in a moment where you're talking to somebody and words come to your mind and then you, they come out of your mouth, I'm impressed. I'm like, wow, where in the world did that come from? There's only one source it came from, and that is God. It's absolutely God. And so my reason for the hope that is in me is because Jesus has changed my life and he continues to do it every single day day. Amazing. When you have that perspective, you can really be strong in your faith and care for people because Jesus does. Here's the next verse. It says this, Galatians 6, 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, not super spiritual, spiritual, you and I are spiritual beings, and God has given us a new spirit. He's revived that spirit should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, that's meekness, keep watch on yourself lest you too, you too be tempted. You see, if you approach somebody and you're mad at them and you want to attack them because of what they have done wrong, chances are you're gonna be tempted with the same thing in the next couple of days or years and you're gonna fall into it because you've approached that thing with pride. But to approach them with gentleness, to, to approach them with strength that cares for them has this in the back of your mind. I could be in that same situation if it wasn't for the grace of God. I am no better than they are. I have the same sin capacity as everybody in this room. I have the same sin capacity. And when you approach someone about a transgression, you have to have that in mind. You have to think, I could do that just as quickly as they did. I could, I could do that. And it humbles your heart, it puts you in a state to stand for truth and care for them so that you can help them through that and get to the other side. And ladies and gentlemen, listen, this works. At this point in the sermon, I will tell you there's more benefits in inheriting land one day from Jesus when you display the gift of meekness. When you do this, you actually help people and you actually see their lives changed for the better. And that is an amazing thing, is a blessing. So to wrap this up, 
we're going to go back to Psalm 37, and I just want to say one thing about it. When you think the evil people that are sacrificing their character are winning, and you are trying to do the right thing, and you are trying to live your faith, and you're trying to care for people around you, but these people around you just keep stepping on you, and evil seems to keep winning. David would say, wait on the Lord. He will handle them and he will bless you. And that is the announcement Jesus is giving to these people. Keep standing for your faith and being firm. I know you're in a situation where you think the evil is winning in the world and they're getting the land, but blessed are the meek because they will inherit the earth. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stage you've given us. Thank you for um, this message. I know that there's an array of people in the room. Maybe there's some in the room who are the ones that haven't been meek. Maybe they've stepped on people to get into the position that they're in. Maybe they're elbowed their way in, not really caring what it does with people, to people around them. Pray that in this moment, Father, that you'll convict them of that and that they will um, receive your forgiveness, which I know is promised. They'll have a change of heart. There may be people in this room that, man, they... They're standing for truth and they're caring for people, but it just seems like people are turning against them. Seems like it just isn't working. They thought they'd be further in their Christian faith. They've always tried to have their focus on you and they're trying to do what's right, but things just aren't working out. They're frustrated with it. Pray that in this moment, you comfort their heart. You let them know that they are blessed. That you have things in control. And even those things aren't going quite the way they want them to. That one day they will. Because you are working this out for their good. I don't know how else you're moving in people's hearts this morning. But I pray that you'll continue to do that dig down deep so that we can change and be more effective for you in this dark world that is passing away. So we ask all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Uh, The altar is open for you if you need it.